With the goal of parental discipline, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. There is a profound difference between crushing the spirit and shaping the will. Godly discipline involves a healthy respect that strengthens a child's spirit, that is training them. This, the ultimate goal as you're getting them to Jesus is to train your kids how to discipline themselves. Right? Because the whole goal is one day they're not going to be with you 24-7. And when they're not with you 24-7, what do you want? You want them to make the same decisions they would make as if they were with you. That's the training. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Hello again, and great to be with you. This is Abounding Grace, and in a moment, I'll hand things over to Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in the middle of a series called Family Matters, and today our attention is on parenting. We learned last time that the primary goal of parenting should be to get our kids to Jesus. We'll expand on that today and see how it includes discipline, training, nurturing, and avoiding provocation. We're in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 4. So what does he say in verse 4? He says, fathers. And this is a direct instruction to fathers. Although there is application for parents, it really is a word to fathers. This is a strong word to dads. Dads, you lead the home. Dads, you are the head of the home. Again, we already studied this as all the studies go together, remember? You're the head of your home. You're responsible for your home, but Jesus is the head of you. And so he has the authority in your life. But he's given, vested that authority to you to lead your home. And one of the ways you don't want to lead is by provoking your kids. And I have to admit, this was one of the areas of my life that I thought was a dad's responsibility, especially with my firstborn as an unbeliever. You know, just, just teasing them, knocking them upside the head, pushing them around, having fun because we're boys, you know. The kid was four years old, three years old, intimidated by dad. And I, I wonder what would have happened had God not intervened. It is not, it's not, your kids aren't to be beat up and mess around and tease and knock on the side of the head. They are to be loved, cared for, cherished as the gifts of God that they are. Fathers, stop it. Stop provoking them to anger. Another way you can provoke your kids to anger is by making things harder for them. It's already hard enough. It's already hard enough. As you're training them and bringing them up in the admonition uh, and training of the Lord, I don't want you to confuse. This is a big mistake that happens where parents confuse and they mistake compliance for obedience. And one of the ways that that happens is a parent gets very angry and frustrated with their kids. And because their kids aren't listening to them, they raise their voice, they get angry. They start yelling. They start demonstrating with, you know, violence perhaps. Maybe not towards the kids. Unfortunately, sometimes that is the case. But just yelling, screaming, authoritative. And, you know, and then what happens? Your kids, they start doing what you ask them to do. 
and you make the false conclusion that all that nonsense is actually bringing about obedience from your kids, it's not. You have to remember, especially when the kiddos are younger, but really to, at what age? You know, my kids really older, when they were older in their teenage years is when they got as big as me and even bigger than me. But when they're young, you're, you're big, they're small. You scare them. You start yelling, screaming. You, you start getting angry and out of control, what the Bible calls in the flesh. Your kids are afraid of you. So they're thinking in their minds, in their little developmental minds, I'm going to do whatever it takes so mom and dad will stop it. And then you walk away going, well, they did what they needed to do. No, you're actually crushing them moment by moment. That, re that behavior requires repentance. It's something I also learned from James Dobson, to get on your knees, look your kids in the eye, and ask for their forgiveness. Admit to them that you too, even as an adult, fail. That you handle things the wrong way. And then commit to the Lord through prayer not to scare your kids like that. It's not getting you where you, you get compliance and you get a temporary peace, but you, you know what else you develop? Inward rebellion and resentment. And you wonder why at times when they get older, they don't want anything to do with you. Because of anger and frustration. Don't provoke them to wrath. Let me give you a list of things that can also be provoking. Number one, when you smother them. Smother them. Never giving them a chance to take, or never giving them opportunity to take chances. Another way to provoke kids is by showing favoritism. Favoriting one kid over another. Thirdly, another way to provoke your kids is comparing them. Comparing your kids to one another or to other ones and always making them feel less than someone else. Number four, another way to provoke your kids is pushing their achievement beyond reasonable bounds. You know how this gets lived out? It gives, gets lived out a lot of times in sports and academics where you're literally living out your life in your kid's life. And so you're pushing. You wanted to be a professional baseball player. You didn't make it, so you push your kids. But they actually don't even want to play baseball. They want to paint. <laughs> it's like they just want to be painters. No, no, you're going to be. And so the, what do they do? They comply with you. Why? Because you're their parents. But it can provoke them. And a lot of this is internally. They're not going to get up at a five-year-old and yell at you and scream at you. I can't believe what you're doing to me, Dad. They're going to actually try to please you. Same with academics. Maybe you, didn't, you weren't able to you know, go as far as you wanted to in school, but you're going to make your kids do it. You can provoke them to wrath. Number five, you can discourage them. Provoking them by just always being a bummer and discouraging them. Six, failing to make your child feel wanted is a provocation. Always treating them like they're an intrusion on your life. And even the kind of side jokes. Well, you know, you were just an accident. There is no kid alive today that is an accident. None. Not even you. Not even you. Number seven, using love as a tool for reward and punishment. That's a painful one. And I know as I'm going through this list, you kind of think back in your own life. You go, man, that's how I grew up. Which is why it may be in your home today. Where your parents would love you if you did good and withhold that love if you did bad. That's provoking your kids to wrath. Not only that, number eight, another provocation is failing to let your kids grow up just a normal life. 
most of what your kids are going through are total kid stuff. That's it. It's just a kid. Just let them be normal kids experiencing life at that age. Number nine, physical and verbal abuse. I mean, that's an obvious one. No child is to ever be abused physically or verbally, period. There's just no other explanation on that. Some of the worst type of provocation comes in that realm. Another one, number 10, is teasing and taunting them. I mean, you're, especially when they're younger, but at any age, like they're developing. This is how they're going to learn how to see the world. But more importantly, this is how they're going to learn how to see God through your behavior. We only get kids for a short time and then it's over. You know, I remember saying that early on when my kids were younger and just like, no, never happened. No, never happened. No, never happened. No, oh, it happens really fast. They grow up very, very quickly as we launch them into the world. Instead of provoking them, notice we're to nurture them, bring them up. That's the idea. We're to bring them up. It's a nurturing word. I found in the home, nurture is an important thing. And nurturing involves discipline. Discipline. It's the same word that's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Let me read it to you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That word chasten, discipline. Discipline. There is discipline and instruction needed in our homes. I know that the popular culture, this has been with us, but it's more popular now, where parents really believe they're super progressive, that they're exactly on the cutting edge of parenting 101, 201, 301 is this attitude. You know, I'm not going to give my kids much discipline. I'm just going to let them grow up and choose for themselves. There's a few things that I've heard that are less, more foolish than that. That is a foolish way to raise your kids. And it's not even true. It's not true. You don't let your kids grow up and you have a lot of discipline. Again, maybe not you, but those listening in, listening to Christian radio right now. Well, you know, that's my parenting philosophy. It's not true. There's a lot of discipline you have in your life. You, you don't let your kids, you know, here in Colorado, you know, your kids wake up. Hey, dad, I just want to let you know I'm going to ride my bike up and down and across I-25. Sure, son. Just tell me. I'm going to let you discover how I-25 is. Let me know how it goes. It's foolishness. Of course not. You know, Dad, I'm going to go out in the backyard and start a big fire. I just want to see what fire does in our backyard. Of course you don't do that. There's so much discipline in a child's life. And just typical stuff. But when it comes to spiritual, their spiritual life, it's a foolish decision. Just, oh, I'll let them grow up and they can choose for themselves. No, you have a responsibility to help them understand the God that loves them. And Dad's? You're the chief discipliner of the home. Or a better way, you are the chief discipler of the home as you lead your home as unto the Lord. Now, with single parents, I'm not going to separate a Bible study on single parents. Just for those of you that are single parents right now, single dads, single moms, everything I say you can just double because that's what you're living. It's harder. Times two, times three. You've got all the challenges of parenting and you're doing it alone. And we applaud you for the hard work that you do. It's challenging enough to do it with a partner. It's even harder to do it alone. But you can't just abdicate your kids because you're a single parent. You now to press in even deeper, allowing God to lead you so that you are fulfilling both roles, both dad and mom, until your circumstances change. 
There is discipline and instruction that's needed in the home. You see, it's in the training, it says in verse 4, and admonition of the Lord. Your home needs to be in the Lord. It needs to be of the Lord. All the behavior needs to be going toward the Lord. What does God say on this matter? How does God want to help me? What am I supposed to say? How am I to do this? The questions that we have in parenting need to be taken to the Lord. Rather than causing your child to question your love, discipline actually confirms your love to your child. A child that lives with consistent, grace-based, loving discipline that's fair, firm, and consistent learns that you love them. They may not be able to articulate this. You know, when you tell a kid, and I'm exaggerating and make a point, but when you tell a kid you can't play with fire, that is a statement of love. It's not just stay away from fire. It's this will hurt you. This will hurt people you love as you train them along the way, as you help them work out their sibling rivalries and difficulties, as you help them when they go to school or they're having a problem with a kiddo in the neighborhood. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And might I add, discipline is not physical abuse. Abuse does not equal discipline. You have no permission every in any way. You have no permission in any way to abuse your child, period. No exception. Let me read to you a few things that are signs of abuse. So you can examine yourself, mom and dad. Abuse includes unfair and unrealistic expectations. Abuse includes degrading and demoralizing behavior toward your children. Abuse, signs of abuse uh, have with them going to the extreme, being harsh, brutal, and I even found one definition that used the word torturous. That's abusive. Things that are motivated, actions that are motivated out of anger or your own personal resentment. Actions that create a terror environment in your home. Actions and words that emotionally damage your children or destroy a child's spirit besides the physical aspect of abuse. Hitting them, slapping them, pushing them around. Your kids are not your property. They belong to the Lord. They've been entrusted to you, but they're not your property. And even so, with your property, you're not to abuse your children. They're not. They're not your property. Signs of godly discipline include these kind of words. Fair, firm, consistent expectations. Actions that uphold their dignity and respect. Words and actions that are balanced and within limits. Painful, but not abusive. And we wanted to teach our kids along the way. I know spanking is used as like the go-to for discipline, but spanking is reserved for outright rebellion and should be used very sparingly, if at all. Most discipline is to bring about pain in a child's life that's associated with sin. So whether it's taking something away, whether it's refusing kind of limits or the the idea of bringing pain associating with sin. You know, a lot of times you interpret something as outright rebellion in your kids that's just childish. It's just a kid being a kid, but it ticks you off. And because you're in a position of being upset, then you respond in being upset and almost always go over the edge with your kids. And it just needs to stop. It's not from the Lord. 
The kind of anger, and listen, I think it's a word from the Lord. The kind of anger that's in your house is not from the Lord. It's just not. It doesn't reflect his love, his mercy, and his grace. And even as you're angry, to step back and wait until the anger subsides, then bring discipline into your kid's life would be a great choice to make. Just let it, let it, like, like, so maybe you are upset. Maybe there's a trigger in your life. Okay, so separate, pray it through, come back together and talk about it when you're not so angry or frustrated. Because that kind of parenting style not only creates resentment in your kids, you know what it does? It creates resentment in you too. Because now you start to blame your kids for your anger problem. It's your anger problem, not your kids. It's your problem. And, and it's, as you look at your home, there are times where I just have to look at you as a pastor and go, you're the adult. You're expecting your kids to act like an adult, but you're not even acting like an adult. That's what this little verse, like these few words, cover a multitude of our behaviors in the home. There is a profound difference between crushing the spirit and shaping the will. Godly discipline involves a healthy respect that strengthens a child's spirit, that is training them. This, the ultimate goal as you're getting them to Jesus is to train your kids how to discipline themselves. Right? Because the whole goal is one day they're not going to be with you 24-7. And when they're not with you 24-7, what do you want? You want them to make the same decisions they would make as if they were with you. That's the training. You would want them to make, that's why hypocrisy doesn't make any sense to a kid. You're training them to make a decision that you yourself, not, you're not even making. But the whole goal of discipline is that when they're separated from you and they go to school or they start driving or they head off to college, that they are well aware of their relationship with God and came from an environment of love where the door is always open for counsel, always open. They're not afraid of you, but rather willing to come. All of that so that what? When they're away from you, they'll make godly decisions on their own. That's the whole goal of parenting, to train up a child in the way they should go. Because they won't always be with us. We want to, one of the responsibilities we have in discipline is to build up a child's love and inner strength to give him or her the security and self-confidence that will provide a dependence upon the Holy Spirit throughout the remaining years of their lives. We are both modeling and teaching them how to love God and to love others while avoiding the pain and the stain of sin. And remember, there's a difference between normal childhood behaviors and rebellion or defiance. And don't be that parent that defines everything as rebellion when it's probably just simple childhood silliness and foolishness. Every growing child needs space where he or she can discover, learn, make mistakes, and experience all the other things growing into maturity. And when there's rebellion and defiance, there's appropriate discipline for that behavior. But parents, do your kids know how much you love God? Do they know how much you love God? I'm going to answer that for you. The answer is yes. Your children know how much you love God because that's how you live in your life. That's how you live in your home. Now, you may think 
that they think you love God at a level 10, but because they live with you, they know you really love God at a level three because that's your behavior. It's like, oh, no, yeah, we, we're a godly home, but if we were to in, interview our kids, I mean, because they're, kids are they're like carbon copies of us. You get mad at your kid oftentimes because they have characteristics that you yourself, where do you think they got that from? They're like you. And you even joke around. It's like, oh, he's acting like you. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, kiddos, they want to grow up and go, oh, I'm going to parent better than you. I'm going to do it better than you. Well, I hope the Lord gives you a kid like you. Tell me how it goes. Oh, I'll tell you how it goes. Okay, I'll watch you as it goes. Listen, your children do know how much you love God. And they know how much you love them. And it's never too late to step back and reevaluate where you are in your relationship with God and your relationship with your kids. Your home is the primary place where you get to exercise Christian love. It is the primary place where we get to grow up together. It's not here where we all put on a face, we all take a shower, put on a face, put on nice clothes, we come together, let's go to church. It's great to be in church, but the primary place where things are lived out is when you wake up in the morning in your jammies and your hair is all over the place. If you have hair, it's all over the place. And you got coffee breath and you're upset and your kids are upset. And that's the place where God develops us. You've been listening to Pastor Ed Taylor and a message titled, Parents Matter. This is Abounding Grace, our midweek edition. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. We're also on Apple Podcasts. So, Pastor Ed, as we've been talking about parenting today, let's make the connection to suffering. There's no doubt some parents listening right now are having a tough time as they attempt to raise their kids. How might Elizabeth Elliot's book, Suffering is Never for Nothing, encourage them in the Lord? Wow, Larry, that, that's so true. Uh, I'm glad that you, um, I'm glad that, you know, Matt put these questions together for us because suffering does enter into homes. I mean, that that raising kids, prodigal kids, um, very sick children, uh, perhaps you know uh, medical conditions that are long lasting, and Elizabeth Elliot's book is a book from from the heart, from her own personal pain, uh, but a reminder that God is sovereign. That's one of the reasons why I have appreciated the ministry of Elizabeth Elliot so much. She speaks, of course, from a position of pain, having lost two husbands uh, and, and challenged in that way, but also knowing that um, God's love and God's suffering are intertwined. You can't separate them. God's love has been evidenced, hasn't it, by Jesus Christ coming into the world to die, carrying our sins and grief and sufferings on the cross. So I, I think that for any type of trial, especially within the family, understanding how God uses trials, understanding how God uses suffering and how nothing is wasted. And as hard as it is, let me just speak to you right now, parent. As hard as it is right now, God is faithful, he's reliable, and he's utterly dependable, and he loves you. And I'm really sorry that it's hard right now in your parenting. 
I'm, I really, truly am. I, and I don't know your story. If you, you like to share your story or you just want prayer, email me. Uh, you can send a personal email to my inbox, ed at edtaylor.org. I'll pray for you. I'll pass it on to our prayer team and we'll pray for you. And I can recommend a list of resources that will help you in pain. Um, I know for me personally, um, if you didn't already know, our son passed away in 2013. And not only did we lose a son, but we lost so much more. Uh, and it was, it's been so difficult. I, and, and yet God is faithful. I can say that in the same breath. God is, it's been difficult and God is faithful. It's been difficult and God has been wonderful and faithful and reliable and utterly dependable. So it is a good resource, no matter what the pain, but especially uh, in any pain. We'll send you a copy of Suffering is Never for Nothing when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for a copy today at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Well, we don't want to forget about our singles, and so tomorrow and Friday, Pastor Ed Taylor will deliver a message called Singles Matter. Join us next time for Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.